Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. All right, RJ, here we are kicking off this episode of the Deep Dive. Back where we belong, some might Yet. say. <laughs> you going to practice today, me being back down here in Southern California, in my room, Afra under my desk, all is as it should be. Um, still, though, what an exciting, awesome week of Seattle Kraken hockey we had. I loved every second I was up there, except for all the seconds I was sick and not feeling well. Those weren't great. But going to those three games, being there for the three-game win streak, seeing Matty Beniers get his first NHL goal. I'm not trying to do this to make you jealous, RJ. I promise. Just try to remind everybody what happened this week. Uh, we don't need to talk about the Minnesota game or the Dallas game. Those those also happened, but less time spent on those, the better, probably. <laughs> Yeah, those don't make RJ jealous, so no need <laughs> yes. to talk about them. <laughs> no, but thank you for filling in for the post-game live, doing that solo uh, for that Dallas game. My ugh, allergies mixed with throat infection mixed with decongestant was just a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it feels so like only one of us can be truly healthy at a time this month. It's Yeah, it's just something to battle through. <laughs> I think it's just, the, it's been a long season. You and I have been doing a lot, and I think it's just kind of catching up to the two of us a little bit. You know, as happens to the NHL players, right? You battle through the little, you know, uh, nicks and, and injuries and stuff, and it slowly accumulates, hits you right around playoff time. Then you get to take <laughs> all the drugs you want because the NHL stops drug testing, and you're good for a while. We just have yep. to get there, RJ. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Fingers crossed. That's what we can do next season. <laughs> oh, should be good. Um, all right. We're, we'll start with like current events because lots of stuff happened today. Uh, as I said earlier, you were at practice. I think we should just start there before we start breaking down the week's goings ons and, and all the fun stuff that we want to talk about. So why don't you go ahead and give us kind of the, uh, the lowdown from practice today? Yeah, so it was an open practice today. I think it's going to be the last open practice of the season. It was great to see so many people there. Again, just such great turnouts, even on these weekdays. Um, you can really sense the excitement there. But uh, And it was great to be back, too. I just felt awesome being back there and, and getting to see everyone again. Um, but Any, any of the reporters of give you a hard time? No, no, no one gave me a hard time about being gone. Um, you know, uh, Mike, Mike Benton, you know, from the radio broadcast was very nice. You know, you checked in. I was going to say, he uh, asked about you doing. almost every time I saw him. So, yeah, no, he he's uh, he's very nice about that. So he was good. And um, yeah, just kind of did my thing and, and uh, nice to be back. But um, yeah, lots of news at practice uh, today there. I mean, I guess we'll start with attendance here because we had uh, some players not there. We had Hayden Flurry. Uh, no sign of him there. I think he's still probably maybe dealing with the upper body injury. Uh, that just seems iffy. I, I don't know. We haven't seen him around really. <laughs> yeah. And and the fact that Pouliot made it into the lineup last game over Hayden probably says a lot. I think. Yeah, I think that says um, <laughs> more than a lot. I mean, I I I think that means we're probably not seeing Hayden Flurry again the rest of the season. Yeah, I I would think so too. Uh, also missing Cole Lind. And Vince Dunn. Uh, so Haxtell said both of them are day to day with upper body injuries. Uh, the Vince Dunn thing is a little bit more obvious as far as what that was. You know, we saw him take a stick up high in the last game against Dallas, look pretty shaken up by that. And so, of course, he was missing from practice today. Day to day, no indication that could mean anything from, you know, he's back tomorrow to, you know, missing the rest of the season since it's just a week. Uh, so no, no further answers on that. 
yeah, hoping it's just like kind of maintenance, you know, you, you, you took a big one for the team there and uh, we'll, we'll give you the day off kind of thing. Let yeah, that you know, let swelling go down because that's a big thing if it's impacting his vision at all. Exactly, yeah. And with three games in four days coming up, yeah. you really don't want to push it. I mean, he's he's practiced plenty this season, uh, so hopefully that's not too bad. Uh, and then also missing, but we're used to this, he's been missing for over a month, uh, Jaden Schwartz. Uh, but we did get an update on him from Dave Haxtell. He was asked, you know, is he going to do you anticipate him being available at all for this final week of the season? He said, no, not at this time. So that kind of confirms what we had already assumed that Schwartz is pretty much being shut down for the rest of the season. And I mean, it just makes sense at this point. No reason to rush him back with a few games to go. And we haven't even really seen him practicing or skating very much. Exactly. Um, there's, you know, Nothing on the line for the team. I would assume nothing on the line for him either. Uh, I mean, maybe he's got a contract incentive in there or something. But it's, uh, yeah, it's not worth doing anything that might cause long-term damage or impact his ability to rest, recuperate during the offseason and come back at 100% next year. Exactly. Now, speaking of Schwartz, there was actually some more news on him uh, today. Uh, the Masterton Trophy nominees came out. Um, and I'm actually just looking up real quick the, uh, the you know the official definition yeah. for the Masterton Trophy. It's awarded annually to the nas- to the uh, player who best exemplifies exemplifies sorry the qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. So every team nominates one player from their team every year to be their nominee for the Masterton Trophy, and then ultimately it's voted on. You've got the winner and the finalists and whatnot. But Jaden Schwartz is the Kraken's nominee, uh, and and it makes sense. It's it's well deserved. He's battled through a lot of adversity this season. We were just talking about the injury; been a real rough year for him on that front. And then also, you know, with the loss of his father last year, and, and you know, his sister a few years ago, it's just been really rough for him. And and he's kind of battled through it all, and was still you know quite effective when he was in the lineup. Exactly. He's um, numerous things have happened that he's fought through, battled through, you know, however you want to put it. Um, I mean, it was one of those, when I saw that he was nominated, I, I even talked with you about it. I was like, I thought he had won it already. Like, cause mm-hmm. he's been deserve deserving of it before. Um, hasn't. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see, uh, if this is the year he, he deserves all of it, uh, all the recognition for all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things you don't want anybody to have to be battling through all that stuff. But uh, unfortunately, that is, you know, the hand that he was dealt and um, he's done a remarkable job of making the most of it and uh, and and helping a lot of people along the way too. Um, you know, all the all the research and stuff that he was able to bring uh, towards the uh, the specific form of leukemia that his sister had, all the bone marrow uh, donor stuff that he was able to do back earlier on in his career, all that kind of stuff. So it's um, it's it's good to see that he's you know getting this nomination and getting some recognition for all that hard work absolutely i mean certainly has has risen to the moment you talk about the word perseverance as i was reading that the description uh you know that that is absolutely the right word uh to use there with Jaden schwartz and uh you know good luck to him in the voting there yeah um now to some lighter news uh you know on the plus side we had a couple players uh new players in practice um or players we hadn't seen in a while uh, and the first is Dennis Chalowski. I remember him? Uh, barely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Kraken's pick uh, in the expansion draft from the Detroit Red Wings. 
who they then lost on waivers to the Washington Capitals early on in the season uh, and then claimed him back, you know, later on near the trade deadline, uh, sent him down to Charlotte. He's been playing there and they called him up and um, he was wearing number two. Also, it's a different jersey number. He had worn number 27. Austin Zarnick took that number while Chalowski was gone. Uh, so he was wearing number two and um, he was seen pretty active. He was taking the line rushes too. He was on at the second D pair. And most interestingly, he was on the Kraken's first power play unit, quarterbacking that unit with Vince Dunn out of the lineup. And Haxtell even mentioned after practice, he said, that's kind of something we could see if Dunn misses any time. Uh-huh. You know, that's he's got that power play playability and that's something the Kraken have certainly needed over the course of this season it'll be interesting to finally see how he does in that spot it's going to be really interesting to see this week as you said you know three games in four days or whatever it is and I mean he looked pretty good in the preseason like like we were surprised kind of how good he looked in the preseason given we knew there was no kind of path forwards for him unfortunately um with just how stacked the blue line was for the Kraken. And so I am intrigued. I think we're probably going to see him at some point. I don't know, you know, again, depending on Dunn's availability, whether or not he gets power play time or not. But I think we'll see him just because we've seen Hackstall do this all season long. Whenever they have games back-to-back days or a bunch of games in a short amount of time, he has utilized the fact that the Kraken have carried more defensemen to really rotate certainly the bottom pairing guys around a little bit, Um, you know. Just saw that with Pouliot and Kale Fleury this past weekend. So my guess is we'll see him. Um, I'm, I'm Again, I'm hoping Dunn plays all these games and they're just keeping him out just to play it safe kind of thing. Um, but even if Dunn has to miss the first game or something, I think he can come in and I think he can quarterback the second unit power play just fine. I don't know that I want him on the first unit right <laughs> away, but... Yeah, I think the case there is that they don't want to move Susie off that second unit because there's that chemistry already. You know, they kind of just want to plug someone right into Dunn's spot. Maybe that would be I, my guess. I was going to say there's chemistry there, but like how much? Like, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see Susie up with the first unit. I mean, he's certainly capable of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Dunn's able to play. But I, I think they have confidence in Chalowski in that spot if he can't. Um, and one thing I noticed also that Haxtell was saying is like, this isn't just based on... Um, wanting to call someone up for its own sake or just trying to get someone in, uh, you know, for just to get some games in. He's really deserved this opportunity. And he, he mentioned, too, how tough it's been of a season uh, for mm-hmm. Dennis because, you know, when he was taken by the Capitals, th- there was a long stretch where he just wasn't playing any hockey. Yeah. You know, he was in the press box a long time. And it, we've seen, you know, time and time again this season how tough that is on players. Yep. And so he's finally got to get a little stretch going with uh, Charlotte, and hopefully he can build on that here. Uh, one thing worth mentioning, too, and, and this will apply also for the other call-up, the Charlotte Checkers have made the playoffs. They clinched their division. As a result, they're going to get a first-round bye. So they have over a week off before they would be playing a playoff game, at least until after the 30th. So a, cu- a couple players were sent down so that they can get some games in, get some reps in. It's better to have them down here versus in Charlotte doing nothing. And so that kind of explains the, the two call-ups that we saw today. So Chalowski is the first, uh, and the second of those two call-ups is Joey Decord. That's right, there were three goalies in practice today, which was fun to see. And of course, I think we all like Joey Decord. It was good to see him mm-hmm. uh, back here for practice. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so he's just recently set the single season record for save percentage in Charlotte, uh, which is impressive, of course. And they're geared up for a playoff run. But for the time being, uh, he's going to be with the Kraken. Yeah, and I couldn't be happier. Like we've 
We've wanted this for a long time, everybody. Like, like we've been such big Joey Decord fans. And when I say we, I don't just mean me and RJ. I mean, like, everybody. Uh, you look on Twitter, you look in our post-game lives, all that kind of stuff. He's been a name that's been everywhere. Um, and not that, you know, not to take away from Grubauer and, and Drieger either or anything, right? Like, we've, we all get it. Goalies are our special little boys and we want to protect them and, <laughs> and make sure they're happy and doing well all the time, all of them. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy that he was able to be up here for the last open practice so everybody could see him before the end of the season. I think that was really cool of the Kraken to do. And I know it was quite a journey for him to get there. I don't know if you want to touch on that real quick. Um, but I, I hope that they make, you know, the best use of him. And maybe you think he gets a start with, again, got this condensed schedule. You can maybe rotate and get, you know, a start in for, for all three guys. I definitely expect him to get a start. And we asked Haxtell, you know, do you plan on getting him into a game? And he said that, yes, they would like to get him a start. Uh, haven't picked a game out yet, so don't know a particular game, but they would like to get him a start while he's here, which makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. why why bring him up if you're not planning to get him into some game exactly. action? Uh, but I, I do anticipate that he'll get at least one start, which is great to see. I'm so excited for that. Um, and yes, let's talk about his journey here, because uh, we got to talk to Joey after practice and... I get one of the more fun media abilities all season. I mean, he's just such a character. He's so funny uh, and insightful, too. I mean, there's really both sides of it, too. It's great to hear kind of his perspective on the game and what his thought process is like. Um, and then also, you know, hear the funny stories of, of the last, you know, crazy day that he had. So let's talk about his journey here <laughs> from Charlotte to Seattle. Well, from Providence to Charlotte to Seattle. So first thing to know is that Joey's lease was up in Charlotte. So where he's staying, his lease was up. And so he had to move everything out of his apartment, move it all into his car by himself, by the way, no help what? there. I was going to say like what teammates just leave the goalie hung out to dry. Oh yeah. You set the single season save percentage record. Yeah. Like move out of your own place by yourself. I was thinking that too. And that's why, cause I asked like, did anyone help you? I was hoping to maybe get like a teammate's name or something. All right. You know, who's the guy who stepped up to help. He's like, Nope. Did all that myself. God. I mean, maybe he so, didn't ask for it. I don't know. Maybe he's just that's one of true. Those guys. I mean, and in so much of a hurry too. I mean, maybe yeah. he's just trying to get everything out as fast as possible. Um, so yeah, he had to move everything that he owns into his car. He said because his lease is up, and then he had to take three flights to get out to Seattle. So he goes Providence, which I guess is where the checkers were, to Charlotte. Gets to Charlotte, packs everything up into his car, right, and then from there takes an Uber to the airport. Flies to Detroit, which I think was just the stopover, and then from Detroit to Seattle. Gets in at midnight last night, right? And then gets whatever sleep he can. I don't think it's very much, of course. And then gets up in the morning and practices today. Yep. I mean, that is that is the journey of a minor league hockey player right there. Right? Like, that's, that is the textbook definition. I'm trying to look up uh, something right now for his, what his contract is, like what his... AHL salary is because that's like that's 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 what it is you know what I mean like we hear these stories so often from from so many guys 300,000 so that's his <laughs> that's his AHL salary that's actually pretty good for an AHL salary it is it's it that's is. very good uh, a lot of times you'll see you'll hear stories of guys doing that or whatever and they're making like 80 grand you know what I mean and, and they're just trying to fulfill their lifelong dream and, and deal with all of that stuff um Otherwise, I mean, in a weird way, the thing that like 
surprises me the least is the whole like get in at midnight and then like go crash somewhere then get up for practice because like that's just like if you traveled back into town from a road trip or something you know? yeah that's true i mean that that part and he did mention like no one cares how how much or how little you sleep no. you know you're expected to go out there and just play the best hockey you can uh you know no, no one really cares about that and he did mention also the difficulty of having the ahl team in charlotte three uh-huh. hours away and he said it's not really the flying the length of the flight it's the time difference it's yeah. just adjusting your internal clock because you know you get up at seven and all of a sudden you know as far as your body knows you're getting up at four right it's just this really tough adjustment to make Exactly. That's, that's gotta be brutal. Um, dealing with your equipment, especially as a goaltender, like I can't even imagine (laughs) trying to make sure it's making all the correct changes, flight changes with you. You know what I mean? Like that would be its own like nightmare, just thing for me to stress and obsess over. That would be, Oh my God, I can't even imagine. I just thought of that. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I would die. Right. And, (laughs) and the stress doesn't end there too, because he mentioned he almost missed his flight too. Because apparently in Charlotte, you know, the security took like over an hour. He's still waiting Oof. the security line. He, he, you know, those announcements where they're, yep. you know, last call for whatever passenger, right? So he gets one of those. The gate calls him and he's like the fourth guy in line, you know, in security checkpoint. He's like, no, please. I'm like, I'm fourth in line. I'm going to run as fast as I can to get there. I promise I'll get there. Um, and so he said his calves were sore from just running all the way across the airport. Oh, that yeah. is, that is brutal. I would, I, I mean, I don't know. I've mostly, most of the airports I've been to have been like, you know, LAX where it's like this mega airport. Right. So I, I hope it wasn't too big, the airport in Charlotte. Right. Terminal. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a nightmare scenario too, for anybody, regardless of what's going on. Um, it's just, yeah. Like, like I said earlier, it's the story of being minor league players. And you know what? Yeah. One day when you make it, it's, it's fun to tell those stories and look back and laugh and cry cry and die a little inside probably too that's for sure and i mean it's it's been so fun like you know hearing some of the echl stories from some of the people like everett oh, yeah. you know everett's echl stories are fantastic um you know the, those stories they they're fun to tell once you're once you're up at the nhl level i'm sure yeah um and you know he took it all in stride he was in good spirits about it just kind of laughed it all off and um he's like yeah i'm gonna crash out as soon as we get to vancouver i'm just gonna knock right out I was, uh, and i don't blame him i was gonna say we'll know a lot about how hackstall and the organization views him if he gets the vancouver start i know i'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna make him do that just throw him to the wolves yet again just poor joey yeah I, as much as i'd love to see him you know get he, some starts in here i i hope he does not have to start against vancouver he's only had the one climate pledge start right i think so i can't remember a second one because i'd want to get him one in climate pledge before the season runs out just because as we've talked about before we do not know what the future holds for the decor drieger situation uh, as far as next year so i'd want to get him another climate pledge memory hopefully a win that would be cool. Wouldn't yeah, it? that'd be nice. Get him some support in front of him. Yeah, a good game. Let's see if we can get a 900 save percentage. Like, that would be fun, too. Um, yes, that would yeah. be great. Um, um, go for it. And then, yeah, on, and one more thing with Decord, too, because on the kind of the more serious side, you know, the hockey side, um, I liked something he mentioned about the mental side of the game. Uh kind of what how he approaches things you know when the pucks may be away from him or everything he talked about having like a performance statement uh, of kind of just three things that he you know he'll just repeat to himself 
throughout a game because he said whether you're working at a desk whether or whether you're playing hockey the mind tends to wander right and to kind of have that performance statement he said you know it changes up it can be little just things i want to work on in a specific game or just generally you know parts of my mindset i want to have down but he'll usually have just like two or three things to kind of repeat and make sure he's always staying on task which i found really interesting because you know as a goalie there's a lot of downtime, right? Where mm-hmm. you're not necessarily actively seeing a shot right then. And the mind certainly does tend to wander, you know, and, and it can be very important to keep your mind focused on, on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting to kind of get that insight into like what goes on, you know, in the mind of a goalie. I mean, we've seen this with Chris Drieger, you know, yeah. going to see a, 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 you know, performance like a sports therapist, you know, talking about that. And, um, you know, it, I just thought that was interesting from Decord's perspective. Yeah, and we've talked about it with Grubauer at numerous points throughout the season, right? Like, it seems like he struggles when he goes through a long period of time without facing a shot. So it is interesting. I always love when the players open up like that and kind of give us a glimpse into their processes. We've, you know, we've talked several times, you know, especially recently in light of all the Chris Drieger stuff about how important the mental side of things is for NHL players, you know, that you can you can get to the NHL based on pure skill and the physical elements, but once you're there, the thing that's going to separate you from a guy who's perpetually having to make three connecting flights across the country and all that kind of stuff is the mental aspects of it. And can you get yourself into a place where you can play at your best night in, night out over the course of an 82-game season? And so I always love when, when athletes are open about this stuff. It helps you know, give gives us a glimpse into who they are and, and what their processes are, and it helps build that connection between the fans and the the player themselves, which I think is very important just for, you know, the fan element, that fanatic element. It You need those things um, beyond just like, well, I like, you know, Grubauer's hat style, right? Like that's something, but you need more than that if you're going to be the, you know, ultimate fan. Like we know we, we have some of those in our community, right? Um, you need some of that stuff. You need to see the, those little moments where they're, you know, helping congratulate Matty B on the bench or whatever it is after his first goal. You know what I mean? You want to see those like big brother elements and stuff. And so I think whenever an athlete opens up, it, it helps with that. And then it also helps with, with the future generation of athletes. Like these don't need to be trade secrets that like, oh, I got to I got to worry as Joey Decord if I talk about that. This is how I deal with this, that, you know, some 15 year old in Michigan right now is going to come take my job in five years. You know what I mean? Like that should never be an athlete's worry. Um, And it does seem like over time we're getting away from that more and more. It seems like modern day athletes are more okay sharing things. We saw Yanni Gord helping out Matty Beneers with tip drills and with face off drills and stuff. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, if you're going to have a teammate or somebody around, you should want them to be at their best because that means your team is at its best. And at the end of the day, you want to win championships and all that stuff. That's, that's what you're there for. So, um, I just like that as, as time moves on RJ, like back when, you know, you and I were teenagers, no goalie would have talked about this. No, absolutely not. And so I'm just so happy that uh, we're getting to the point where you have Chris Drieger talking about working with a sports um, psychologist and you're, you have Joey Decord talking about uh, what he does in, in during games to, to kind of stay mentally focused. I just think it's it's really important. And I'm, I'm happy we've reached that point in the sport of hockey because um, hockey can sometimes move a little slow when it comes to those kinds of things. That's true. All right. So that was a lot for like just today, RJ. 
What a, I know, what a it felt like an eventful back. practice. I know, it was great. I, I love it. Just thrown right back into everything. It's awesome. Yeah, it's the, it's the best way to do it. You, you would hate to go to practice like nothing happens. You're just like, oh, okay. I didn't. <laughs> I, I missed all the exciting stuff. No, you didn't. You got plenty of stuff here. Um, and uh, glad it was the last open practice. You got to see people there too. That is fun. Um, we'll move into this past week. I'll kind of talk about... Uh, my experience is up there now. You've had your share of the limelight. I get to steal it back now. Get that green box around my Discord picture. It means <laughs> I'm talking. Um, yeah, so well, I'm going to start off with this. I'm, I'm very thankful to have met uh, those of you that I met when I was up there, and I apologize for not meeting more of you. I was just... After the first game, my I finished my second round of antibiotics, throat things started to kick back in, and I was just not in a place to do meetups at the armory before games and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I apologize for not meeting more of you. I was really looking forward to that element of everything, and it just wasn't going to happen this trip, unfortunately. That being said, I did still get to meet some of you, and it was really, really awesome to get to hang out and everything. And thanks to everybody who we met up with. That was very nice to my parents. Um Shout out to them. They went to all three of those home games. My mom wearing that lucky Maddie Beneers jersey. Got to think that's what did it for everybody involved. Um, but uh, it was it was a ton of fun. And oh my gosh, RJ, to go to a Kraken game and have a pregame ceremony. And like, yes. like pageantry and things happening beyond just like, hey, it's the Kraken. Woo! Because <laughs> that's what it was last time I was up here. Uh, and it's it, it's good. It lives up to the hype in person. You know, I've seen it like a thousand times now, it feels like on TV and on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, it lives up to it in person. That building gets so loud. The found, the fans there get so loud. And I'm so happy to see that this deep into a season that has not gone very well. Because, <laughs> it, you know, nobody would have blamed fans for kind of showing up a little less. And maybe being mm -hmm. a little less loud and a little bit less energized going into a game, certainly against a team like a Colorado Avalanche, where you're, the expectation from everybody was, yeah, we're going to get stomped. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, there was a little bit of positivity because it was like, well, hey, we won the last two. Like, maybe we get this done or whatever. But but there was still that element of like, hey, maybe we get it done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how it was in the building for a lot of people. Um but I also think that that kind of helped and it made it that much more special when you get out to the hot start and all that stuff. But we'll get to that game in a second. Um, yeah, so I love the energy of the building. That was my number one takeaway because it's it's right there with any building I've been in. I've been to... The only other games I've been to this year have been in Anaheim. That building's only ever like 60% full. It's a very relaxed atmosphere to begin with, so it's it's fun in its own way and I appreciate those aspects of it. I've talked about that several times, but it does not compare to being in a building that is full of, you know, nearly 18,000 people that are screaming their heads off because something is happening or just because they love their team that much. And they're still so excited to just have an NHL team in Seattle. Um, so I really appreciated those aspects of it. And that was for sure the, the biggest takeaway that I had. Second biggest takeaway that I had was, um, almost flattening Macklemore when I walked into the press room. No, uh, <laughs> although that happened, but, um, it was, it was the win streak and, and seeing the Kraken play arguably their best hockey all year. I, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense that you'd figure it out towards the end of the year that, that like at some point it all coalesces and it comes together. But the one thing you and I kept coming back to in those post games was this is the Matty Beneers effect. Not just the fact that he was a point per game guy through all those games, but he 
was able to regulate and solidify the lines and have this team play like a hockey team, an NHL hockey team, where you have a top line, you have a second line, you have a third line, and you have a fourth line. And guys were able to get into a rhythm. Players like Jordan Eberle were able to look good again because they were able to be in a system and know what their job was. It's not changing night after night. It's not changing all over the place on them because they're being shuffled around and they're getting the same ice time as seven other players. You know what I mean? And so it's it's hard to figure out exactly what you're supposed to be doing when you're out there. Um, and, and I thought that that was a huge, huge thing, uh, a component to why the Kraken won those three games. So RJ, uh, just so I can rest my voice a little bit here, not just talk forever. It, do you really, do you think that's, that's what it was after we've seen now a couple games where maybe the results weren't so great, or do you think it was just Maddie B initially there electric building because of him and, and they were able just to kind of ride the fan way? No, I think it really was the Bedeer's effect. And you see it even in those games that they didn't win, even in the games that weren't part of the win streak. And, you know, we'll get to that, you know, kind of later breaking those down. But um, you, they've had at least a two, you know, a two goal lead in all of those games, except for, you know, the Devils game. Uh, and that's just something that, you know, to, to have a stretch like that put together, whether they finish it off or not, that's just not something that we've seen from them really in the entire season I, they just look like a more dangerous team especially when it comes to the forwards especially offensively uh, it does allow players to kind of slot back into lineup in those right spots it allows jared mccann to move to wing and you stack him with yanni gord and it gives you actually a proper first line uh you know or, or some semblance of that whereas before you just had to spread things out in the lineup so thin that there's nowhere you can stack the talent enough because then it just gets so weak somewhere else it, it does allow them to do a lot of things with the lineup that they couldn't do before and then I, I think there's just something to be said for having a player like that just generate excitement from everyone I, I think you know the other players feed off of it they see what he can do they see the excitement that's just around the team and the fans and everything and it all just kind of becomes this force especially at home you know then when we have the crowd in on it too yeah it just becomes this force and and it's really hard to stop it is, and it was so evident just watching the team. Like, that first morning skate I was there for before the Devils game. Like, I, I said it, he looked like the second best player in every single drill. Like, there was always somebody who's like, you know, that's just their drill, right? Like, they perfected it or whatever, right? But he was just top two or three in everything. And you could tell that other guys took note of that. Like, it's hard not to when you're <laughs> playing with somebody like that. And it's a young kid who so clearly wants to learn from you and he's trying to pay attention to everything he's he's making sure he's you know he's not last in the lineup to go do a drill but he's definitely not going first because he wants to watch a couple guys go and you could tell that's what he was doing he wasn't like oh i'm gonna hang out with my buddy and talk for a sec while i catch my breath or whatever no it was he was basically at the front of the line just watching but letting a couple guys go first so that he could you know figure out okay exactly how should i use my edges for this or how should i you know use my body here for this kind of like bump drill we're doing you know what i mean like it's clear that he just has that appetite for for knowledge um to, to accumulate hockey skill and to go out there and compete with anybody, right? We've talked about his hustle since day one, before the Kraken even drafted him. This was the one thing with this kid is that his motor is set at 110% and it never stops. And that is infectious. Like, it's it's hard not to play with somebody like a Brandon Tanev or like a Matty Beniers and not have that rub off on you because you don't want to be the guy going out there and kind of half-assing it when they're doing all that. 
Like you, you can't, right? Like pride, mm -hmm. even if it's just personal pride and not wanting to embarrass yourself, you can't do that. And I, I would hope that it would be more than that. But, you know, for some guys, we know that is what it takes. But, but even if that's what it takes, it's still elevating everybody in the building from an energy level. And, um, and I do think that uh, that does have an on ice impact, uh, which we very clearly saw in these games. And yeah, just the hot starts in all these games just come out guns blazing. And that was really, really fun to see from this Kraken team that um, has struggled to start games at several points throughout this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's slow starts or something that have plagued them for a while. And even in these, you know, the last two losses, they yeah. came out and started hot. They got two nothing leads in both of them, uh, you know, in the first period. So that's just been consistent at least since he got there too you know other areas to improve upon sure uh but but the hot starts are just great to see yeah it's been really cool uh yeah figure out the second period guys mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's better than a problem <laughs> might, might need to do that um to get specific to maddie Beniers real quick so we see several goals from him including his first of his career what i love about all of his goals is that they're, they're happening in different ways and it shows just how versatile of an offensive weapon he's been. And really, his assists are happening in different ways, too. And I think that that's big and important as well. It just shows what kind of impact he's making. Um, you're seeing him, you know, already game, you know, that first game against New Jersey when he gets his first goal. He's getting a cue from Vince Dunn, like, hey, if we win this faceoff, I'm going to shoot it, you know, maybe work yourself up a little bit, be there for it. And he does. And he puts himself in the perfect position and he buries it. He puts so much more on that than he actually needed to, but you can blame the kid, right? Drop into the one knee and everything for it. Um, but, but, you know, he gets there, he knows that that, you know, McCann is going to find a way to get that puck loose somewhere, right? Because that's what good players do. And, and Beneers is no um, stranger to playing with guys like that. Uh, you see some other goals where he's just sniping it. Because he can. He's, his wrist shot is insanely accurate and fast and powerful. And uh, he's done so much work on it, like we've said before. And it just looks incredible. And then from a passing standpoint, how amazing is it, RJ, to have somebody who's going to consistently pass tape to tape instead of into somebody's skates? I It's unbelievable. <laughs> un unheard of from what uh, you know we'd seen prior to uh, this season. I mean... Uh, yeah, just so consistent with his passing, consistently good. Um, and, you know, we saw it very early on from his first career point, that pass over to Ryan Donato. I mean, that that tells you everything that you were going to see. Exactly. And then at other times, you know, he gets an assist on that Eberly snipe in the Colorado game, I think. Yep, that was Colorado. Yeah. Um, and, you know, doesn't necessarily work a ton for the assist, although he is there in the corner, like, you know, banging away at the puck or whatever. But more importantly, it showcases his ability to suck in defenders. And that's something that was growing game after game. You were just seeing more and more defenders were having to take note of where he was, having to keep track of him. First time all season long, I've seen a player on the Kraken power play command a defenseman's attention. Exactly. Puck opposite corner from the side, Maddie's on. Right, Beniers likes to line up. They have him lining up over on the that right side, right the the half board there. Every single time through that Ottawa and Colorado game, he had a defenseman over there on him, and that has not happened so far this season. Nobody has commanded that attention, but he does because he deserves to. Uh, already in his NHL career, he deserves to, and so that's going to be a lot of fun for them to explore over the course of the off season. You can draw up some things and take advantage of that. But going back to the Eberle goal, 
you know, he sucks in defenders down low, able to protect the puck, win the board battle, send it out to Eberle, and Eberle literally does a double take, real time, because he's just like, oh, there's no defender here, because the defenders all win after Maddie, and mm-hmm. and it just allows Eberle to have this, like, perfect lane right in, and the moment the goaltender comes off that post and opens up that top corner, Eberle takes advantage of it, and that's something that Eberle has not had the luxury of, you know, being a part of play-wise, a lot this season, but we got to see that, you know, that shot is still there. Um, oh, yeah. If we can put him in some better positions to use it, uh, he can still be an effective scorer for us. So that was good to see. And, you know, talk about upping their energy game. Everly, some of the best back checking he's had all season playing with Matty, Matty Beneers. He's motivated. He's energized. Uh-huh. He is. So um, really awesome. That's that's kind of all I had on, on Matty Beneers at this point. I think he's starting to get a little not worn out, but like burned out a little bit. Like that was a big week to just kind of be your first week and go through all the emotions of the point streak and winning those games and being a part of everything. I I think that that's kind of what was catching up to him for those back-to-back ones on uh, Friday, Saturday. I I don't Mm -hmm. know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I, I think that would make sense, especially considering he's coming off playing a full college season. Like it's not like, oh, he's just here for these, you know, nine games or whatever. Right, it's already at the end of a, a season. You played a full season already, yeah. and you come in and do this. Yeah, you jump into get, the highest level. Yeah, and to get as much ice time as he has, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were giving him some big minutes, putting him in some big situations, and also, you know, kind of having to be one of the faces of the franchise. Yeah. Now, I mean, as soon as you come in, I mean, that's one thing that I really notice in these open practices is he's kind of really taken that to heart, too, and embraced that role as someone who's already kind of a fan favorite, too. I mean, he was staying out late after practice. He was actually he was working with Ryan Donato today, uh, kind of working with like face offs and other things. It was it was funny. Uh, you know, Ryan tripped him intentionally off the face off. You know, they're buddies joking around. But also, you know, Maddie gave out a few pucks to fans, you know, taking on that role as well. It's, it's just a lot to deal with. And I know. Um, you know, there were even some reporters who, you know, from other outlets that weren't wouldn't normally be here that mm-hmm. were there to go get an interview with Maddie. So uh, he's clearly someone that that people are getting excited about, and and he's embraced that role as well. But it's a lot. It's a, it is a lot, and um, that excitement and everything's just going to grow over the course of the year. But this is this is why I wanted him here at for some of this year to get some of that out of the way to learn how to deal with it. And it's one of those things, you know, you can take advice from anybody. But you got to figure out a system that works for you as far as dealing with the interviews, dealing with the fan interactions. And I, you know, yes, I'm saying deal with it. Obviously, it comes from a place of extreme privilege that, you know, people want to interact with you and you can make their day and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you're a professional athlete. You're trying to do your your job. And, and you know, yes, that's part of your job, but it's not necessarily something, you know, when you're dreaming of winning the Stanley Cup, you're not like, well, how late should I stay after practice and how many pucks should I be giving out and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that you just have to figure out for yourself. I have no doubts that he's going to figure out a great system and, and learn how to handle it beautifully just because he is a wonderful, nice, humble person, as well as, you know, being very intelligent uh, emotionally and academically and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, but that's why I wanted him here to, to learn to get an NHL routine so that he has that as a foundation for next year so that when you go through the ups and downs, it's not always going to be five game point streaks and three game win streaks and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like you're going to have some downtimes and uh, you're going to have to, 
you know, have a rock solid foundation and routine to fall back on. That's why these guys get so superstitious. You know what I mean? Like they really rely on that stuff for those mental aspects coming back around to that. So I'm happy that he's here. He's learning those skills because I think that's going to help him next year. Uh, Hopefully go and capture the Calder Cup rookie of the year. Let's go. Yeah, go get a Calder trophy. Um, Yeah, start that campaign early already. Just, you know, Maddie Veneers for Calder 2023. It's it should be an exciting race because this past draft was very good and a lot of players are going to be making that jump next year. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, as well as the ones who already have Ken Johnson, Owen Power. It's it's going to mm-hmm. be a, it's going to be a good one. But uh, I, I'd say Matty B's got to be the betting favorite right now. I would think so. Yeah, yeah he, he's got to be. Not that I condone gambling. Never. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so any other positives we want to touch on as far as like what really made those games work? Because I, I just think it's a, it was a combination of the lines and everybody figuring that out and the fans. Like I, I can't point to anything else that, that resulted in those three wins. Right. I mean, I, I think we kind of covered it, and it just turned into this, this momentum, this energy, this force. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and hockey is that way sometimes. Yep. And you can tell it's it's kind of in the air, especially when you're there in the building too, when that force is building up in a given game or a given moment. Um, and, and I recognize it from plenty of times that I've, you know, been in buildings before where it's happened. And, and it's certain, even though I wasn't there, uh, you know, for this time, it, it certainly felt recognizable like that. I was going to say, that's sounding very familiar, RJ. I'm wondering where I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. When I was huffing and puffing on my way back to the car after one of those games. <laughs> I know. Thanks for putting uh, up with that, everybody. Um, yeah, no, it was it was very much that way. Certainly that New Jersey game. It was you knew he was going to get a goal that night, and you knew they were going to win. It's probably the only cracking game I've watched all season where I was certain they were going to win, with it really not looking certain that they were going to win. <laughs> exactly. The Ottawa game, they were just in control start to finish, so it was just like, yeah, no, this team's just got it. Um, mm-hmm. That Colorado game, though, there was there was some moments. There were some moments where doubt creeps in, but it will end with Colorado. I mean, you could be up by four goals with, you know, 10 minutes yeah, to play and no there's still got to be that seed of doubt in your mind, just knowing what they're capable of. Exactly. But they got it done. And that's, that's what's so important. Um, and that's what made the next couple games. So kind of surprising is the jump off to those hot starts again. Second period, just absolute collapses and i i will give hackstall credit for learning from the first one in the dallas game calling a timeout trying to slow things down stop the bleeding but like i i know your hands are tied in the minnesota one you can't pull the goalie because you have to start you know trigger the next night or whatever but like you could you could have probably used a timeout in there too Yep. I mean, there was certainly a timeout that could have been used. I think, you know, you had Will Borg and I think go fight someone in the next shift. I I don't know that that's necessarily what you want to do. I I think a timeout probably sends a better message. And, you know, I I don't think Haxtell would ever really like, you know, straight up admit it. But just by his actions the next night, calling a timeout after the second uh, Dallas goal, when things looked like they were falling apart again. I think he's like, okay, no, let's let's take this approach now. I think he kind of learned from from that experience yeah which you know i got no problems with i'd rather you be learning on the job than just be stubborn about it and never learn yes i'd hope at this point you'd be able to kind of have a better feel for it and and do it sooner uh but we've talked about that throughout this year he's very cautious when it comes to things like timeouts or goaltending switches it's just who he is it's his nature um and most nhl coaches are that way it seems like like there's very select few 
that'll just call yeah, a timeout just... early on. Exactly. They're rare few, and especially with the goalies, too. There's like one or two who always have that itchy trigger finger, but others, you know, Daryl Sutter, maybe one, yeah. but, you know, other than that, not many. Well, and, you know, who, who's got like all the wins? Active coaches. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's something there. I don't know. <laughs> all I'm saying is somebody give me a shot. I'll come in, be swapping goalies like every game. Both goalies play 82 games. I'm sure that would be fine, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it'll be all good. But you know what? We'll have using two quarterbacks. You know, you can't go wrong. It it certainly worked for almost an entire half for Indianapolis that one time. <laughs> Until the swap happened, it was it was going okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it was one of those things. Otherwise, I don't know. The Minnesota game, you were just outclassed. It's the bottom line. You were giving up power plays you could not afford to give up, and then you were just outclassed completely the pk had no idea what was going on minnesota was sneakily moving people around like it was just classic look what we're doing with the puck over here so you don't notice kaprizov or you know whoever moving over here uh joel erickson Eck, you know coming up down from the point to be like right in front of your goalie who, who could have seen that coming you know and uh getting it done i, I would have liked for them to recognize that maybe a little sooner but i also get that that's you know like i said you were outclassed Exactly. And it's so tough, especially when you're down a man, because that's really where they mm -hmm. killed him is the power play. I mean, three for their first three. Yeah, it's so tough when when Minnesota has uh, one of their guys that's not Kaprizov going like Kevin Fiala. I mean, he's yeah. been on such a hot streak, um, you know, even what it was like eight, nine, ten games at this point. has just been playing some of the best hockey of his career. And when you have that going, it's so hard to focus when you got three guys that, that all can hurt you. Exactly. I want to bring up Kevin Fiala actually real quick. I'm going to double check his contract status right now. Um, yeah, he is expiring. He's going to be an RFA though. But somebody right. did leave a, a comment on, I think it was last week's deep dive and I didn't get a chance to answer it because I was dealing with everything last week. But they brought up the idea of, of potentially going after Kevin Fiala just because you know we were talking about Matty Beneers being a more creative type guy and wanting to surround him with creative type players. And Kevin Fiala is certainly a creative player. Um, that you could stick on a wing with Matty Beneers, like, oh my gosh, the stuff that the two of those guys could do together. Um, what, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I like the idea, of course, of bringing Kevin Fiala in. I mean, who wouldn't? You know, that fit on the ice, I think it'd be fantastic. That's the kind of player that I think Ron Francis, if if you have the opportunity in the trade market, you know, should maybe be aggressive and try to go for. You know, I don't know that... It's tough because you're looking at kind of the draft assets to get them. I don't remember what the, the tiers are exactly for the RFA compensation, but you look at Fiala, I mean, he's going to get paid a lot. If you're going to make an offer that's that enticing, you're going to have to give up a lot of draft capital. And, and I think it would include a first round pick. So I just yes. don't think an offer sheet is in play. It have to be a situation where Minnesota can't afford to sign him to whatever deal he's going to want. They're going to have to explore the trade off uh, the trade market then, and then maybe you give them an offer that that is appealing, but it would cost you quite a bit. Yes, and you know maybe there's maybe there's something there. Um, Minnesota's got a lot of money tied up. You know, next year those buyouts for Parise and Suter are big. Mm -hmm. There's you know you're yes. talking about twelve and a half plus being just in dead money that you're going to have to deal with salary cap wise. And um, you know Kevin Fiala, it was a one year bridge deal for this season. Like they had issues signing him for this season. So that could continue that you might be able to take advantage of a Minnesota kind of being backed into a corner a little bit if they don't find a way of trying to maybe move one of their other contracts. 
Um, right. So they're going to be in a tough spot. It's a situation to look look for. And I would have no problem with Ron Francis using the amount of capital that he has draft pick wise and going after an NHL caliber in his prime player like that. Like we've talked about that. Like I have no problem if you're going to bundle three seconds or something to go get Kevin Fiala. Like I, exactly. I think that's worthwhile doing because you're not necessarily going to find a player of his level in the second round, much less three of them. Yeah, no, you're not. And it's certainly not uh, a foregone conclusion as far as those scoring wingers in, in Goudreau and uh, Philip Forsberg. I mean, those yeah. guys, might, who, for all you know, they might not make it to market. And if they do, you're going to pay a lot in terms of, of cap hit for a long time. I think Fiala's contract would be something that's more manageable for you. And, you know, he, couple that in with the fact that he's like a year, year and a half younger. Uh, mm-hmm. That could be a better ad. Yeah. Or uh, Patrick Laine. Just keep... Keep banging that drum. Yeah, look at look for those RFAs. I mean, that's what you want to target, I think. There's there's no harm in asking. And I think that a lot of times GMs get afraid of asking for whatever reason. But like we've heard from some some of the big name GMs, like some of the biggest trades in NHL history. Yeah, well, I just called up and like I asked about them. Like, what's the deal here? You know, you, yeah, you no maybe, one knew they were on the market. <laughs> yeah. But it's just because somebody decided to call and do their job essentially. <laughs> <laughs> do their due diligence and all of a sudden the next thing you know something happens because you never know what a situation is going to be like contract wise with somebody or you know whatever it may be they're not happy with the location whatever um so it's i, I would implore ron francis to go ahead and, and go out there and try that this off season just call up some teams see if you can make that happen you're going through the proper channel you're not gonna piss anybody off by signing an offer sheet you know that's yeah that, exactly. that's the big no-no can't right. do that I mean, you can't do that anyway because you're not giving up your first rounder. Yeah, I know. It's just it's out of the question. Yeah, but uh, you know th- that would come back to haunt you with Matty Beniers. <laughs> no, you're gonna pay him whatever he wants anyway. Come on. Uh, all right. So that was kind of those those games. We got ten minutes here, RJ. Anything else that's kind of caught your attention from this last week for the Kraken that you want to bring up? Yeah, I mean, I want to talk about draft lottery odds. Oh yeah, that's those... a good one. Yep, those were uh, released by the league. Um, of course, the draft lottery, uh, let's tell everyone, it will be May 10th, uh, which is a Tuesday, I believe. Let me check the calendar. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. a Tuesday, May 10th. Uh, and so just quick refresher on kind of how the lottery works. There are going to be the top two. There are going to be two lottery drawings, basically. You know, one is the first, one is the second lottery drawing. And For whichever first and team... second overall pick, just to... Well, potentially, but here, here's well, here's yeah. the wrinkle. Yes, because if you win the lottery drawing, you move up, you know, quote unquote, 10 picks or, you know, up to number one if it's less than 10 picks, obviously. Um, so teams, you know, 12 through 16 of those non-playoff teams, if they were to win the lottery, they would only move up 10 spots. So th- they can't, you know, get the top pick. So that's kind of how it works. There's two lottery drawings. Uh, any team that's in the top 11, if they were to win that first drawing, would pick first overall. And then there's another one kind of for the second overall pick. Um, but that's the wrinkle this year that's new is you can only move up a maximum of 10 spots. Yeah, it's um, again, I will say, why do they keep making this so freaking complicated? Like there is just no reason to constantly change it and tweak it and try to do all this stuff. Like I get it. You don't want the last team to not make the playoffs. Maybe it's a Vegas this year. You don't want them getting the first overall pick or whatever. But at the same time, like if you're going to have a lottery for, for potentially two spots, like just, just 
throw everybody in there. Yeah, exactly. And and they just, or at least just keep it something consistent that you do year after year. Yeah. The problem is that somebody complains about some element of it every year. And so they feel like they need to tweak it or whatever. And then, you know, so some result happens that's kind of unwelcome that just by pure luck, the same team wins, you know, three years out of five. And they're like, no, well, no, we've got to put an end to this, uh, the end of this. And then guess what? Some other, you know, unlikely result or whatever will happen. And then people yeah. won't like it. And you try and be reactionary. It's, it's like the offsides review thing where you've got the Matt Duchesne thing that happens. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you got to go reviewing every offside by, you know, a millimeter. Um, I think that's kind of what they've done with the draft lottery. It has been. I wish it would just go back to the old days of non-playoff teams. You move up four spots. So if you finished bottom five, you've, you've got a chance at the top pick. But that's it. I think that would be better than the 10 spot thing. Of course, the real solution to this, and maybe this isn't the place to you know debate this. The real solution to this, in my opinion, is going to gold drafting and... Uh, Oh, oh, you don't you don't agree? Okay, we'll have this debate on a Red Glare podcast in the off season. Uh, you know, no need to have this now because we're we only got like ten minutes to go. But uh, anyway, look up gold drafting; it's great. <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's some nice convoluted YouTube video out there that somebody's made. You can make it, RJ. Why don't you do? Yes, that? that's the perfect convoluted argument. YouTube video yeah. for me to make. It's it's excellent. Uh, yes. The amount that's of Excel spreadsheets you could use. Oh, it's, it would be beautiful. Material. Yep. But anyway, let's enough about being annoyed by by the format. Let's get excited. Let's talk about yeah. what the odds actually are. Let's talk some numbers here. Yep. So the the team that finishes last place, or you know, oh, I'm just gonna talk first seed, second seed, you know it's reverse order of standings, uh, will have a twenty point two percent chance at getting the first overall pick. So still, you know, more likely that they won't. Uh the second seed will have fourteen point five percent chance. Third seed, 12.3. Fourth seed, 10.2. Fifth seed, 9.1. You know, sixth is eight. You know, seventh yeah. is seven. It yeah. gets lower. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to so, put everybody to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm not going to keep going. But I, I wanted to get to the end of where the Kraken could possibly be because yeah. this is how it relates to the Kraken. Because uh, given that Arizona and Montreal are guaranteed to finish lower in the standings than the Kraken this season, um, the Kraken w can have seed anywhere between three and six. So three, four, five, or six. Yeah. So when you talk about first overall pick, you're talking about, you know, 12%, 10%, 9%, or 8%. And that's kind of how it changes based on the spots. So it's good for everyone to know, I guess, exactly what how the odds change and what your percentages are for yeah. every potential game that they win. Because they're going to play a few more games this season. Every win is going to potentially, you know, move them down a spot in the lottery. So you're looking at about a 4.3% swing, you know, based on winning out versus losing out. Yeah, which... You know, it's not insignificant. Um, every little bit helps when it comes to this kind of thing. It's and, true. And for every for every spot you move up or down, that's your most likely pick moves up or down yes. the spot too. That's what I was going to say. Your average like draft position, that's the thing I always pay attention to on Tankathon, right? When I'm mm -hmm. on there is like, what, what are you averaged at? And right now, Seattle would be their average pick would be 3.6. So mm -hmm. kind of right there between three and four. I'm okay with that spot. I think that's an appropriate spot for Seattle to be in. Um, but it's a big jump if they, if they, you know, Philly jumps them or they jump Philly, however you want to look at it. All of a sudden it's 4.4. That's, a, that's right. a whole pick swing difference. That's that I'm not as comfortable with. So um, that's, I think one of the bigger things that 
that you got to pay attention to because all of a sudden it goes from being like around three and a half to six essentially as as you're talking about the range that the kraken could finish in so um still you know it's one of those things i know we enjoyed that three game winning streak it was fun to see maddie win some games all that good stuff but like ugh, i don't know rj i've been i've been so frustrated by this all year because it's just so hard for me to root for draft lottery odds I know. And especially when it's so far away, too, when there's so much season left. Yeah. But is it, it's the final game or two. I mean, you see that it really will make a difference. I still think the position the Kraken are in right now, the wins are more important, you know, and I will stand by that. But I mean, I guess let's just say it becomes extra important to root really hard for the Flyers, Devils uh, and, and Blackhawks. Yeah. If you can if you could stomach that first off, good on you. And two. Uh, go for it. How about the Kraken a little bit there? Yeah, actually, as we record this, the Flyers and Blackhawks are playing each other. So let's... Uh, let's Three-point game. Let's go. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation all the way around, but it's going to be so exciting and uh, it'll be fun. Do the Kraken play the last game of the season? Uh, yes, they do. Yeah. That, I think that's the only game on that On that day Sunday. Yeah. The postponed game. Yep. Yeah. So that's also something fun. We get to We get to finish out the season, everybody. You, how many teams yeah. get to say that? Two a year. That's <laughs> true. And we're one of them. I think that's going to be fun because it means just as everybody's really starting to pay attention to hockey and, and everything because the playoffs are ramping up, the, the kind of more you know casual fans that maybe go to a couple games a season or whatever, everybody's starting to look at this. The bad teams are looking at where their team's at, going to be picking draft-wise. The good teams are all looking ahead to the playoffs. We kind of get one you know night all to ourselves to show off the team one last time with Matty Beniers. I think that's going to be fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great uh, for all the fans, not so much for the team and the staff and everyone who's got to travel up to Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, but but good for all for us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, it's the job you sign up for as, yep. as Joey out to did, right? That's you know, it, it beats three flights out to Winnipeg while emptying your apartment by yourself. So yes, that's that's somebody's always got it worse. And that person who's got it worse is generally a minor league goaltender. Yep, that, that's a good way to end this podcast, <laughs> I think. It's a very good way. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this deep dive. Um, apologies for any snifflings that the the mic picked up on my end or you know, coughing or anything like that. Uh, appreciate everybody dealing with me uh, and, and dealing with both of us through these past couple of weeks as everything's just been all over the place. You guys have all been very understanding and very great about it. I appreciate that a lot. Um, we've got, you know, the last little bit of the season here to look forward to this week. Some fun games. Uh, we'll go watch those, enjoy those, and we will see you next time for a season wrap-up episode. It's going to be awesome. It's going to yes. be great. So, um, yeah, it should be a ton of fun. Uh, we'll see y'all for that next time. <laughs> <laughs>